0: Good morning. Hey, Peninsula Bible Church. It's so good to be together. Good job making it to our new live stream time at 9 a.m. And uh, we're just excited to be together and worship here. Thanks to Mo for that deep reflection. Uh, That's going to fit really well with where we're headed in Lamentations 5 this morning. Well, my family loves to ski, and that's something that we've actually been able to do during the pandemic. Skiing is kind of a built-in socially distant sport and so a few months ago we were up in Tahoe skiing and it was kind of early season conditions and we're coming around a, a bend on kind of a flattish slope my, my kids were behind me I was in front and I made a turn and I skied over what I thought were some clumps of dirt but but it turns out they were actually it was actually a gravel patch and I learned an important lesson that skis don't work on gravel So that that was a good thing to learn, but what ended up happening is I I went for a tumble and I, I fell into this pile of rocks. And here's the interesting thing. Do you know what my first thought was after I fell? It wasn't, did I get hurt? My first thought was, who saw that? See, I was more worried about somebody noticing my fall, about the embarrassment, the shame of falling than I was about any physical pain that I might have caused myself. Now, it turns out I'm not alone in that. There's a Norwegian researcher that's done some work on this, thinking about how people rate physical pain versus social pain. And this researcher has concluded that most people are more afraid of social pain, of looking bad, than they are of physical pain, feeling bad. As we jump into Lamentations 5 this morning, we're going to see the author shift from some of the physical, painful experiences they've been through and focus more on the disgrace and on the shame that those things have caused. We're going to finish the book of Lamentations today. This is our last a sermon from the book of Lamentations. Next week, before moving into Easter, Scott's going to think about Jesus and lament to wrap up our series on lament. But what we're going to see this morning is, is Jeremiah giving people a prayer, a prayer for how to deal with that social pain, that shame that we feel. It's a, it's a really raw, honest prayer. It, it's vulnerable and it's hesitant. He's going to say something along along the lines of, "God, why? Please? Maybe?" There's this note of questioning, this note of uncertainty, of not really being sure how everything's going to turn out. And actually, the Book of Lamentations ends with that kind of, of wondering how God is going to act. So what I've noticed as I've counseled people and as I've gone through things in my own life is that a lot of times there's the thing that happens to us. There's something painful, some amount of suffering that we go through. But then on top of that are all of these things that we add. Guilt, shame, embarrassment, frustration, anger. And so there's the thing we're going through, but then there's these layers, these calcified layers that just encrust it and make it even harder than it has to be. And what Jeremiah is showing us this morning in the final poem of Lamentations is how to cut through that shame, how to bring it to God and how to trust that he might be able to deal with it. See, a lot of times God doesn't take away our pain, but I'm convinced that God can Free us from our shame. And when we let God do that, powerful things happen. Well, let's jump into the text. And before we go too deep, we're going to get a bit of an overview of Lamentations 5. Uh, This poem happens after the siege of Jerusalem, after the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah is left behind in the burned out city after all but the poorest of people have been carried away to babylon you may remember that lamentations is a collection of five poems each chapter being kind of a standalone poem and the first four are all acrostics that is they they begin with subsequent letters of the hebrew alphabet like a b c etc chapter five is different it's also 22 verses like the others but it's not an acrostic. It's unique in that way. But the other way it's unique is it's actually, even though it's not an acrostic, it's one of the most structured poems within this book. See, each verse is very cleanly split in half and in each halves of the verses there are words that parallel each other. Look at this image where you can see the the whole chapter laid out. And I know you can't read the text on your screen but I want you to notice how evenly each verse splits up and then within each verse you get these parallel words and so in verse 1 the word remember is paralleled with look the word befallen is paralleled with disgrace in verse 2 you have inheritance and homes that are in parallel as well as the words strangers and foreigners in verse 3 it's orphans and widows in parallel along with fatherless and mothers verse 4 mirrors pay and bought with drink and wood see what happens is that each verse has these two sets of words that go throughout the whole chapter and here's the effect it's a powerful effect poetically Jeremiah's world has been destroyed It makes no sense. Everything has fallen apart. The city is in shambles. The the place where God chose to make his home is still smoking from the fires that have destroyed it. It's chaos. And so Jeremiah takes that chaos and he shapes it into something that's predictable, that's parallel, that's structured. He gives order to his chaos through his lament, and that helps him to make sense of it. It helps him to grasp something in the midst of the confusion. The first thing Jeremiah asks, the the first verse mirrors something we saw in chapter 2 and something we've actually seen throughout this book. It's the most frequently asked request throughout the book of Lamentations. Let's look at the first verse again. Lamentations 5.1 reads, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Those words, look and see, We saw that at the end of chapter 2, where Jeremiah simply wanted God to notice the pain of his people. Chapter 5 begins with that request, and what Jeremiah is going to do is he's going to move to a new place by the end of the chapter. But notice particularly that what Jeremiah is asking God to see. Look and see our disgrace. That's a remarkable thing to ask. Remember my ski accident. Remember the thing I least wanted to happen was for somebody to notice my disgraceful spill among the rocks. I didn't want anybody to see. And yet here, Jeremiah is asking God to look upon the shame of what's happened. There's only one other place in the scriptures where that word see and disgrace appear together. It's Isaiah 47, verse 3. Listen to that verse. It's a, it's a judgment. Isaiah says, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. So this is a, a warning. This is something terrible. The, the worst possible thing that could happen is that your disgrace might be seen. And yet here Jeremiah says look and see my disgrace he's opening himself up so that his shame might be made known and this is the devastating thing about disgrace about shame is that it forces us to hide it begs us to conceal ourselves to put on a false image, to hope that nobody can tell what's really going on inside. And yet, this is what lament can teach us. When we lament, when we describe, when we proclaim our hurt, our pain, our suffering, then we we break that, that power of shame to force us into hiding. And we open ourselves up to the freedom that can come when our disgrace is known. We learn that there is no shame in shame. There is no shame in pain. When we suffer, we don't have to be embarrassed about it. We can be honest. We can face our shame. When I was in high school and college, I developed a habit with pornography and it was something that controlled me for many years. I was desperately ashamed of it. I I, I didn't want anybody to know it was paralyzing in its force on me. And for years, I didn't talk about it with anybody. It was was one of my biggest fears that someone would find out what was actually true of me. And then in college, I went to... uh, a fellowship meeting and there was 40, 50 people in a room and somebody came up, stood up at the front and they confessed their addiction to pornography in front of all of these people. And my mind was blown. I couldn't believe that somebody could admit to this thing that was so Paralyzing and shameful to me. How could somebody be honest about it? How could they tell people they don't even know? How could they face that? And yet when they did, the, the spell was broken. The shame just just melted away because this person was honest enough to call it out. And not only did he find freedom by facing his shame, but because he was willing to face his shame, I started to find freedom too. I managed to talk to other people about it, and that began a journey that the Lord took me on, where God worked in my life and eventually gave me freedom. See, lament invites us to face that suffering that we don't really want others to know about because It seems too hard. We're worried about what they might think. We're worried they might blame us or misunderstand us or whatever it is. And yet, when we lament, we can face the shame of our hurt. Can you imagine saying that to God? Look, O Lord, and see our disgrace. Can you imagine saying it to someone you trust? Look at my disgrace. Can you imagine the freedom that would come when you're able to be that honest about what you're ashamed of? Well, Jeremiah doesn't just ask God to look at it. Then he goes and and he launches into this exhaustive, comprehensive list of all the things that the people have experienced. Once again, let's look at the overview of our chapter and we'll see that as Jeremiah goes in the next big chunk of scripture, his listing of the disgraceful things breaks down into several main sections. And I'm going to read all those in a minute, but I want to orient us first because each of those sections allows some powerful theme to emerge. And so we see that as Jeremiah moves through this, he says that God's people have been displaced. God's people have been oppressed, God's people have been violated, and they have been dejected. They have become dejected and given up hope because of all that has happened. It's a comprehensive listing of all the ways that God's people have suffered and the disgrace that has come because of it. Now there's a long section of scripture and it's it's a hard one, but I want to read from verses 2 through 18, because I want us to hear this well, to be invited into the the disgrace that Jeremiah is listing. So imagine yourself there in that city. Imagine the smoke still rising from the rubble, people in shock after the trauma of the siege and the destruction, seeing their friends and neighbors carried away, and, and here they are. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We've become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We've given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough our fathers sinned and are no more and we bear their iniquities slaves rule over us there is none to deliver us from their hand we get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness our skin is is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine women are raped in zion young women in the towns of judah Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill. And boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate. The young men, their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. Everything has fallen apart. God's people have been displaced. Their homes are occupied by foreigners. God's people have been oppressed. Pursuers are at their necks. They have no one to save them. God's people have become violated. Women assaulted. Boys forced to work under staggering conditions. Because of all this, they've become dejected. The joy is gone. There's no more music. There's no more mirth. As I've mentioned before, we studied the book of Lamentations with a group of pastors, Scott and I did. It turned out that in that group there were, there were two uh, Caucasians, two Asian Americans, and two uh, pastors that, who were black. And that group was just something special that the Lord put together. And I realized really quickly that when you open this book and when you read about being displaced and oppressed and violated and dejected, when you read it with pastors who are people of color, who are ministering to congregations of color, you cannot read those words and not think about what it's like to be a person of color in our country, in some of our churches. And that was one of the greatest gifts of this exercise because honestly, and I say this Disappointingly of myself, but if I were just reading this passage, studying Lamentations alone in my office, I'm not sure I would have seen those things. But the advantage of having brothers and sisters from different backgrounds ministering to different communities was so powerful. And it was so clear how part of the shame and the disgrace that we've gone through, that, that we've experienced in this country, has to do with the issue of race. And over the last year, our eyes have been opened to that. Last summer, when many of us watched in vivid detail the murder of George Floyd, and and we learned more and more about what it's like to be black in America. Just this week, after the shootings in Atlanta, where the issue of violence against Asian Americans has, has come to the fore, Hate crimes in response to rhetoric about what it's like to be Asian and violence, persecution. Now what's important to understand about these events is that it's not as if these events have just come out of nowhere. It's not as if something has started that hasn't already been happening. But these events have become polarizing things, have become moments that we might see what has been happening for a very long time. God's people, and particularly people of color in our country, have been displaced, oppressed, violated, and have become dejected. But there's something that Jeremiah says in the middle of this section that can help us to understand this. See, in verse 7, Jeremiah says this, Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. That is a theme that comes up throughout the book of Lamentations. The issue is that the sin that the city is being punished for has been happening for generations, literally centuries. And yet, this is the moment in time where God chooses to judge his people for that which has happened for long periods of time. And, and in some ways, the people are asking, how is that fair? How is that fair that we are judged for the sins that our fathers have done? And yet, when you really read the text, you realize that's not all that's happening. In fact, later on in Lamentations, you'll you'll notice that they say, woe to us for we have sinned, in verse 16. Now see, what's happened is that sin has a way of working its way, not just into the hearts of individuals, but the hearts of of communities, the hearts of a society. Sin creates grooves in a culture so that it's easier to walk in those grooves than to walk outside of them. And so over time, sinful habits, sinful actions, sinful patterns shape a culture, they shape a people so that injustice becomes part of the very character of that people so that oppression becomes embedded within it. And so when Jeremiah says, our fathers have sinned and we bear their iniquities, part of what he's saying is that our fathers have given us an inheritance of patterns and assumptions and ways of being that perpetuate sinful patterns that they lived under. And then we have these events, these flashpoint events, like the destruction of Jerusalem, that, that make real what has been happening for a long time, like the murder of George Floyd, like the shootings in Atlanta, like dozens of other events. And what we realize is that our culture might not be burning, our cities might not be smoking from destruction of the Babylonians, but our culture is broken. Our ways are deficient. Sin has worked its way into our way of being. And part of the power of lament is not just to lament our personal experience, but to lament our corporate experience, what we, what the people of God have gone through collectively. And to lament the brokenness that exists in our culture. So having faced our shame, then we can be honest about the brokenness in our world. We can face brokenness. Our culture is broken. Now, it's important to know we have had things passed on to us, beautiful, powerful, faithful people passing on courage and dependence and sacrifice, some some incredible... have a legacy of some great faithfulness, but we also bear the sins of our fathers. We also inherit the legacy of depravity. Do you see that? Do Do you see how we bear the iniquities for our fathers? How has that been true for us? Well, they have been perpetrators of racial injustice and we bear those patterns. They have viewed women as lesser than men, and that affects our assumptions. They have not been bold about the gospel, choosing instead to placate culture rather than standing firm for Christ. They have created and celebrated a culture of celebrity, even within the church where the last shall be first, instead of a culture of humility walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We have not spoken clearly about sexuality in our culture, choosing instead to take the easy path. They have fallen prey to their own patterns of sexual sin and covering them up when they happen among leaders. They've been more excited about tracking the next Amazon package than when Jesus might return. They've, been, they've become consumers rather than disciples See, all of these ways give us patterns to walk in. They create our culture. This is what it means to say that racism has become systemic. But it's just as true as a bunch of other sins. Consumerism has become systemic. Idolatry has become systemic. Placating culture has become systemic. All of these things are ways where we inherit the sins of our fathers. And what Jeremiah does is he lays it out in detail as a way of owning it, as a way of acknowledging it. Because only then, only when you face that brokenness and come to it honestly, can you move forward from it. Can you think at all about what to do? Our culture has lots of broken parts we need to be honest about and face up to. But then what? Where do we go from there? Well, this is where Jeremiah ends with this final prayer in the book. And it is a beautiful, raw, vulnerable plea to God. Listen to what he says in uh, verses 19 through 22. He says, But you, O Lord... Reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us jeremiah begins by acknowledging something that's not obvious he says but you O lord are still on your throne it's not obvious because the place of god's throne has been turned into rubble destroyed the the valuable things of the temple have been carried away to babylon god's throne from all earthly perspectives has ceased to exist, and yet Jeremiah says, you, God, are still on your throne. And then he asks that question that we typically ask when things don't go the way we want, when, when we suffer. He says, why? But notice he doesn't say, why have you allowed your city to be destroyed? Why have you taken the people away? He says, why have you forgotten us? Why have you left us? In a few weeks, we're gonna hear Jesus ask the same question. Why have you forsaken me? Now, we know that God hasn't forgotten his people. We know that he's actually present in the judgment. That's the the mystery. But we also know that it feels that way. When, When our lives fall apart, it feels as though God has forgotten us. And that's what Jeremiah is asking, why? Why Why is this so hard? And because that's the cry of his heart, that's what He asks God to fix. He doesn't ask for a fix to the burned-out city. He doesn't ask for a fix to the exile, even. He says, "Lord, restore us to you so that we may be restored." The cry of His heart is that He might be right with God. That, that connection might be strong, that God might enfold his people in his arms once again. And we realize that this is the issue. This is what comes out of our heart when we lament. We open up our pain and we ask to be reminded of God's presence, of his love, of his comfort. We don't necessarily ask for the pain to go away. We don't necessarily expect God to stop the suffering, but we want him to take away the shame so that we can be close to him again, so that we can know that we are okay, that we are accepted. Because the fact that we're suffering makes us think maybe we're not okay with God. And Jeremiah asks God, restore us. This is the prayer of lament. Ask God to restore. Ask God to restore you. And yet the book ends not with a hopeful assurance of God's eternal love. The book ends with this unless... The book ends with this, but I'm not really sure you do love me, God. I don't really know that you will restore because maybe you've walked away for good. Maybe you've utterly rejected us. Maybe you're so angry at us that this is life from here on out. Maybe the voices of shame are true. Maybe I'm not worth it. Maybe you don't care about me. My value isn't worth anything at all. unless you have utterly rejected us forever. See, that's shame talking. Shame freezes us. It incapacitates us. It makes us wonder. And Jeremiah gets to this place of deep vulnerability. He has begun by asking God to look upon his shame, and then he's cataloged it in gory detail, and then he brings himself to a place where he says, God, I'm in your hands. Please restore. This is the ultimate place of dependence and vulnerability, which is why I think he can't stay there very long. He goes quickly to that hesitant, unless. Restore us, unless. It's as if he loses his nerve and just kind of trails off. And what I love about that is how real it is. You know, you wish the book ended on this glorious note, but the way it does end is a lot more like my life, a lot more like where my vulnerability gets me, to a place of wondering, of hesitancy. Restore unless. This is lament. This is what it looks like to pour out our heart to God. It's beautiful, and it's powerful, but it leaves us vulnerable. Remember how I felt when I took that spill skiing? I, I was worried that people might see that, that whatever thin reputation, I, I don't even know what I was worried about, that, that somebody might judge me, that, you know, why did he fall? And yet, What we've seen in Lamentations 5 is this courage of Jeremiah to present his shame openly and to invite God into it. Here's the amazing part. Jeremiah didn't have Jesus. He didn't know what we know. So he ends on this note of uncertainty. He ends on... Unless, but we have the rest of the story. What we're going to celebrate in the next couple of weeks as we move through the, the remembrance of Good Friday and then the resurrection of Christ on Easter is that we get to see Jesus taking on our shame and declaring victory over it. We get to see that God, in fact, is not still exceedingly angry with us because we know that God's anger was poured out completely on Jesus at the cross so that we could be rejected, so that we don't have to say unless, so that we know God will restore us. Now, if you're like me, you still feel this way. You still feel that uncertainty. You, feel, you still wonder whether God can accept you But we don't have to because we know. We know that God will restore us. And so I hope for you this this look at lament has helped you to see what lament can do for us individually and as a people. Lament is this powerful way that we can release our suffering. We can catalog our shame, we can face it with courage, and then we can ask God out of that freedom to do something with it. It's shame that makes it hard for us to think about racism. It's shame that makes it hard for us to think about consumerism, to think about the ways we might have failed as individuals or as a church or as a country. But when we lament, when we can free ourselves up and turn our shame over to God, then we can move forward. We can pray with Jeremiah, God, why, please, and maybe we can omit the maybe because we know Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would Continue to teach us to lament that this would not be a sermon series that, 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 that is one and done, but that we could learn the power of lament in our lives as individuals and as a community so that we can move past the shame, so that we can invite you into our suffering, and so that we can be expectant for the work of redemption that you will do out of that. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you love us, that you accept us, that you are not exceedingly angry with us. Restore us to you that we may be restored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I'll pray.